hydrate or die. You know, you need multiple drinks. Before we open up God's Word together, um, again, uh, for those that maybe weren't here at the very start, uh, this is Maranatha Grace's 14th anniversary, and so we want to uh, just celebrate that and, and, and recognize God's faithfulness over these uh, many years. Uh, we also want to pray for some of uh, the saints here. Um, some, of you, some of you may know or have heard, but we, we've been praying for uh, our brother Ping as his mother was, was dying. And, and sadly, this week, um, earlier this week, she did pass away. Um, so uh, Ping's here. His mother was a believer. She had been... Uh, uh, dying of cancer, and he was able to go and spend some time with her in Taiwan, and, uh, but, is, but is now back. So let's continue to pray for Ping and his brother um, and his father, um, as they, and then, of course, Trisha and Aaron as they, as they mourn and, uh, and grieve. Um, we also want to pray for our dear brother, uh, Jose, who is, is uh, recently discovered and is beginning treatment for pancreatic cancer, and so he's actually... I think this week is your second treatment of, of uh, treatment to, to care for him, uh, to treat the cancer. So let's continue to pray for Jose and Elizabeth as they walk through these, this season. And then in, in later news, our, our brother Tom tomorrow, along with uh, some folks from uh, North Shore Baptist Church, the church that planted us, uh, will be going to Jamaica for a week to serve uh, the churches in Buff Bay and to minister there with our gospel partners, Damien and Evelyn and, and Vernon and Allen. And so pray for Tom and the team as they go, and they'll spend the week in Jamaica. So with all that, with these needs, let's go to the Lord in prayer even before we uh, hear from God's word. Father, we thank you for your kindness toward us. We thank you for your, your sustaining grace that pursued us, that sustains us, That actually motivates us. We thank you for the ways that we have seen your mercy and your kindness and your grace over these many years as a church. We are far from perfect, but you are perfect. And you have used the, the, the rhythms and seasons, both, both beautiful and hard, to shape us, to encourage us, to grow us, to challenge us, to focus our eyes more on you, to see you as more beautiful, to see you as the one who sustains us and meets us and where there is true life and life abundant. Lord, and I pray that even as we look ahead to the future, even as we think about Jeremy coming uh, on as, as, a, as a new pastor, as we look to the future of what you have in store for Maranatha Grace, we ask nothing more than that you would continue to to be yourself for us, that we would grow more aware of who you are, that we would grow more aware of your grace, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, that we would be built up into, into mature followers of Christ. And we pray that others would come and see and, and, and taste and experience the goodness of God that comes through Christ, and that you would be pleased to even use this ministry for that purpose. Lord, we, we, we mourn and we grieve also. And one of the beauties of, of, of life together is that we actually get to rejoice with those who rejoice and we get to mourn with those who mourn. And so, Lord, I, I pray for Ping, 
and his father and his brother, for Trisha and for Aaron, for the rest of their family, even as they, they grieve the loss of Ping's mother. We thank you that her pain has ceased and that she is with you in your presence. But Father, we still grieve, and it's right to do so. We grieve loss and, and sadness, and we, 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 we grieve death itself, even though we know that it, it, is, it does not have the final victory. So, Lord, I pray even in this season that you would, your comfort would be very visceral, very tangible, very real to Ping and his family. That you would draw near to him and that they would draw near to you. And they await the, the resurrection to come. To see you and your, your glory and to, to be reunited with, with not just his mother but his sister in Christ. Father, we, we pray also for Jose and we ask that you would continue to encourage him even as he is, he is sought to... to place his faith and trust in you even in this uncertain season. Pray for Elizabeth as she's, she's helping to care for Jose. We pray that you would sustain them, encourage them, remind them that you, are, they have, they have, you have not forgotten them. But I pray that they would be sad at the circumstance. I pray that they would, they would acknowledge their uncertainty, their, even their fear. But even in that, that they would cling all the more to you. Pray that those things would, would actually draw them closer to yourself. And that in, even in this season, that you would reveal yourself to be even more gracious, more merciful, more kind, more righteous, more good, more loving than they've ever experienced before. And that they would hold fast to you. And that that would be an encouragement to us. And that we would be an encouragement to them. Lord, I lastly ask you that you would go before this team going to Jamaica. We thank you for the opportunity that Tom's had to be able to use his, his gifting and his, and his expertise as a doctor to go and serve those in need. We pray that even as they, they bring medicine and, and care to bodies, that they would hold, hold forth the gospel, which is... Uh, not just good for health, but for the soul. But I pray that others, they, that through their ministry of, of serving, of mercy, and also the ministry of the word would be effective. We pray that you would give them traveling mercies, that they would be able to go, uh, arrive safely, do their work well, that you would be glorified and that they would return. We pray for the saints in Buff Bay, that they would be built up through this work. And we pray that in all these things you would receive all the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you were here last week, uh, you, you heard Pastor Eric preach uh, a, that we were going to begin a little mini-series on, uh, on what Isaiah, these passages in Isaiah that are called the servant songs. And, and these are leading us up to Easter as he and I will... Uh, trade off some of the, the preaching. And this morning we come to track two of the Servant album. So thank you. I'm so glad somebody got that. All right. But this is, 
this song, and I, and I was thinking about what song or album has meant a lot to you? A song that has been a significant source of comfort or hope in a season of hardship. Maybe it wasn't a song, or again, maybe it was like an entire album that it became this, this significant resource for you in a difficult time. What do you think about that? I have a couple that I'll share with you. Uh, one is John Coltrane's A Love Supreme. Uh, this is jazz, for those that don't know. J uh, John Coltrane, this Love Supreme album, it moves me deeply, and it grounds my heart when I get anxious or overwhelmed. I, I play this, and uh, if you don't know, this is essentially, it's, it's a prayer. This whole album is a prayer um, set to music. The second is true with a record called uh, By Indelible Grace, and it's, it's called a, The Hymn Sing. I've, I've, I've texted multiple of you in this church and said, hey, you need to listen to this. This will be a great comfort to your heart. And, and time and time again, this record has encouraged me, has, has actually been the perfect expression of what my heart's really longing for in so many different seasons of life. And I highly recommend both records to you. And I know some of you thought I was going to mention a Bob Dylan song, but I didn't. What are some of yours? What are some of yours? It doesn't have to be a Christian song. A Christian song. So if it's NSYNC's Bye Bye Bye, that's okay. <laughs> Call them out. What, what are some of those songs or albums that have been really meaningful to you in, these, in various seasons of life? Let's be bold. Shout it out. What is it? The duck song, got it. He's in seventh grade, we get it. <laughs> Shane and Shane, thank you. All right. The Book of Psalms? Sovereign Grace, thank you so much, Elizabeth. Anybody else from the front of the room? I just want to let you know the Astuto and Enriquez family really held that whole session down. <laughs> Somebody else? You too? Which record? Yes, that is the right answer. <laughs> Songs and music have a way of imprinting seasons of life on our heart. When I listen to Dave Matthews' band, Under the Table and Dreaming, I am taken back to eighth grade almost instantly. Perhaps this is why Isaiah gives us these servant songs. They were meant to imprint on our heart. They were meant to imprint on the hearts of his readers in order to stir in them comfort and hope when uncertainty and hardship comes. Even as Nina read, this, this song is not just for his readers, though. Look back at the passage, Isaiah 49, and I'd, I'd invite you to keep your Bible open or your phone open to that passage. Don't do the New York Times crossword puzzle. Uh, you know, keep your... Keep this passage open because we're going to kind of work our way through. And just the way that this passage is laid out is 1 to 6 is actually the song. And then 7 to 13 are commentary on that song. song. And so we're going to kind of see how they weave themselves together. But this invitation, the servant begins with an invitation to everyone. He is, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention to me, you peoples from afar. He, he, he's thinking, he's calling people to listen to this song 
who are coming from faraway lands, the coastlands, thinking, how far away can I think of? That's who should, I want to hear this song. And even in time and space, we are part of those that are invited to listen. The servant invites all people, from those in exile to those who dwell in far-off lands, to listen. To listen because his song is a word of comfort and hope. And this is the invitation that we have this morning, to, to listen to the servant of the Lord, to listen to his song for our comfort and our hope, even for today. And so I want to just highlight three reasons why we should listen, why we shouldn't refuse this invitation. And the first reason is this. We should listen to the servant's song because when we do, we will hear the very words of God. The servant speaks God's words to us. Isaiah is a prophet that lived prior to the destruction of Jerusalem and the Israelites being taken into captivity. He is writing prophetically about what is going to happen. And this section, 40 to 55, he is writing to those in the future who will be in exile. So he's writing as if the, the Israelites are already in exile. And the reason that they are in exile, he, he outlines in the first 39 chapters. He, he actually shows why God's judgment is coming upon them. He outlines the sins of God's people, as well as the surrounding nations, and then thus pronounces judgment on them and foretells of Jerusalem's fall, which results in the people being carried off to Babylon to live as exiles in a foreign land. And so again, in this middle section, he's addressing the defeated and exiled people of God. Take a moment to imagine what that would be like. That if Canada stormed the borders and then carted us all off to Quebec where we don't speak French. They're under the rule of a foreign power. All that they have known has been ravaged and taken away. And it seems reasonable to think that some of their questions and their feelings would center around the sovereignty, the goodness, the faithfulness, and the power of God. Questions like, was our God not able to protect us? Is he cruel and unmoved by our situation? What about all the promises that were made to us as his unique people? Is he going to make good on those? We can imagine the confusion, the uncertainty, the fear, the anxiety, the bitterness, the resentment, the lostness. God does not leave them alone. He does not leave them to their, their own devices or ruminations. And he doesn't do that for us either. He, rather, God, through Isaiah, delivers this message to announce God's righteous judgment on Israel's sin, but also to say that his judgment is not the end of the story. The exile was actually not to destroy them, but to refine them 
to purify them, to cause them to turn to him in repentance and renewed faith. If you actually look back at chapter 48, we actually see in verses 9, he says this, For my name's sake, I defer my anger. God would have been just to destroy Israel completely. But he actually goes, I will bring judgment, but I will also defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that, you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. He says, I'm actually, to, to showcase how good and beautiful and righteous I am, I have, I have judged your sin, but I'm not going to destroy you. I'm also going to show how merciful I am. And that through this process, you're actually going to be refined like, uh, like a, like a pure, purified metal or gold, taking all the dross or the impurity out. It was meant to cause them to turn to him in repentance and in, and in faith. Isaiah is writing this to actually not condemn the people, but to comfort and give them hope. And one of the most beautiful ways we see this comfort and hope is the coming of this servant of the Lord. And this coming of the servant is not God scrambling to pick up the, the broken pieces. Rather, it's plan A. It's been from the beginning. Look at the, the second part of verse 1. The Lord called me from the womb. This is the servant singing his song. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he, he named my name. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant. The servant is one who has been handpicked by the Lord. And we see that in verses 1 and verses 5. Look, we have a bunch of kids. We have four kids. And one of the, the fun things about when, you've, when, when Kirsten found out that she was pregnant is you get to go to the doctor and they put some weird goo on your belly and then they wave this thing around and you get to see inside the belly of this little child growing inside. It's an ultrasound, right? So. <laughs> and when Trevor was... In the womb, I, I thought it would be fun to not know what it was a boy or a girl yet. And Kirsten really wanted to know. And so she, the doctor wrote a little letter so Kirsten could see, but I didn't. And I caved within a week. But, <laughs> but when we found out whether he's a boy or a girl, then, then we started putting names. And Kirsten's very organized. And so she put three by five cards and first name, multiple names. And then we'd, we'd put them together and go, oh, is that... Does that work together? So Trevor's middle name is Hudson, but it was almost Staples after C.S. Lewis. But then his initials would have been T.S.A. And so we thought that's not a good idea. But, but in the age before ultrasounds, naming children before they were born wasn't a widely practiced thing. You, you maybe had names, but you had to wait to see the child first. But Yahweh, the Lord, from the womb, because I know your name, I've hand-selected you for this purpose, and I'm calling you to it before you're born. 
we see that God, the Father, is not operating in a scramble, but he says, from the beginning, I've had this plan to bring about my glory and your restoration. We see that he has a plan to to rescue, redeem, and restore God's people. And this servant, in verse 2, he says, He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. This servant of the Lord is like a weapon in God's hand that is brought out at just the right time to accomplish God's purposes in just the right way. And what are his purposes and what are his plans? Pastor Eric mentioned this in that first psalm, uh, the first song in chapter 42. It was to establish justice. Injustice had been spreading like gangrene all over the earth. The servant is coming to establish true justice. But it doesn't stop there. It's also to establish the kingdom of God once and forever and and to welcome his people into his presence to dwell in that kingdom forevermore. We see that in verse 5. And the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be a servant to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. Exile and captivity were not the end of the story. Neither was it an interruption in the story. Rather, we see that God is going to purify his people through this exile. It's God's sovereign hand that has been directing all these events in order to demonstrate his glory, his power, his preeminence. He isn't playing second fiddle to the Babylonians. He is in control of all things, even the hard circumstances of exile. So how will he bring these events? Through the servant? I love. Do you get it? What, what's the sharp sword? It's the servant's mouth. The servant's mouth is going to do the work. The servant's words are going to be the power and the, the, the things that cause this change to happen, this revolution. The weapon that is going to rescue God's people, that will overthrow oppressors, that will establish justice, is not more tanks and armies. Instead, the sharp word in the Father's hand is the mouth of the servant. He's the Prince of Peace, remember. God's rule will not be extended by war or by force, but rather through his word, which comes through his servant. I could imagine being in Babylon in exile. Babylon was a superpower. And it's, it's, it's easy to think, this nation's going to last forever. Who can beat Babylon? They, they, they've overtaken nations bigger than ours. Nations fall. Kings die. But the word of the Lord stands forever. Think about this. What actually transformed the world? Think about the Roman Empire. Its expansiveness. There were lots of 
insurrections that happened, but what actually caused the revolution that, that has fundamentally transformed the entire history of the world? It was 12 people talking about a guy who died and then rose again. Think about the, the gospel message, about how it, it transformed culture and societies. It, it has outlasted Babylon. It outlasted Syria. It outlasted Persia. It outlasted Greece. It outlasted Rome. It will outlast the United States. It outlasted the British Empire. It, the word of God is secure. It is the power that brings about God's plan. In Isaiah 11, speaking of the, the one who has come, we, we read, with righteousness, he, speaking about the, the servant, the king, will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the, the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Think about when Jesus returns, what comes out of his mouth? The sword. The servant's mouth is so powerful because it speaks God's own words. And we see that the power of God's word from the very beginning of the Bible. God speaks and things happen. No one else has that power. The servant who would... God had chosen from the beginning to use his voice for his people is none other than Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of these songs. And thus these songs are meant to generate hope and comfort in the hearts of all those who listen as they hold fast to him. When we think about the servant of the Lord being Jesus and thinking about God's word and the power of it, we can be comforted when we read these things about Jesus and how the word... Uh, about the power of his word. Listen to this from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything made that was made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Listen to this in Hebrews Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word. Things stay together because Jesus says so. And then Jesus, even in his own ministry, says, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. We're to listen to the servant's words because they're God, they're, they are God's words. And they are full of power. They're full of comfort. And so no wonder, if you remember that scene of transfiguration where Jesus goes up to the mount with, with Peter, James, and John, and he, he it begins to shine with all the glory. They get to see the glory of Jesus for this moment. And as he was 
As they're there, a, a voice came and said, Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and, and, the, and from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. God had not left his people alone. He had not abandoned them. This servant song is God's very words of comfort and hope that communicate to his people that his work is ongoing and that he will rescue his people. The servant song is meant to retune the ears of the people to hear from God again. Some of you know that I that Trevor wrestles, and I'm one of the coaches in our town, uh, uh, in our rec league wrestling team. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever wrestled. Wrestling families and wrestling culture is a little extra, um, including ours. Uh, while each match is only two kids facing off against each other, families, teammates, coaches are all screaming and moving like this. Like they themselves are in the match. If you were to watch me coach the kids, I am on the mat with them. Therefore, even in rec matches and, and leagues, things get very exciting and very loud. All takes place in a gymnasium. And all this, one of the hardest things for a new wrestler to learn is not the moves and not the rules. It's actually one of the most important things in wrestling a match is learning how to hear your coach's voice in the middle of a match when 70 people or more are screaming, whistles are blowing, buzzers are buzzing, and another kid is trying to maul you. All while, and you can put that picture up, all while you wear fancy earmuffs. My, college, my high school coach used to, when we would go out to the mat, he would smack your head, and he would hit the ear, the, the headgear. And so not only is everything screaming, but now everything's ringing. So everything is now muffled and muted, and you have to find one voice in a crowd. And I think this is a good metaphor for the way that we live in the world. We are bombarded with voices that compete for our attention. Voices of career, finances, investments, social media, must-have items. We are constantly hearing lies and half-truths about what life is about and how to get the most out of it. So by default, our ears are, are more attuned and attentive to these voices than the voice of the Lord. I lose my voice every Saturday morning screaming for kids' attention because they're, they're looking in the crowd lost. When if they would look at our direction, we, they would get instruction. When we lose our bearings, when our, when our ears become deaf to the Lord's call, no wonder we often feel overwhelmed and anxious and fearful and bitter. The Israelites were in exile because they had believed the lies. They had listened to the wrong voice. They were listening and following along with the wrong song. 
They listened to the siren songs that ultimately shipwrecked their lives. Friend, who are you listening to? What voice, what song are you pursuing? And let me ask, how's it working out? Is your heart comforted? Is it full? Do you experience flourishing or frustration? I think this song teaches us and helps us to retune our ears to hear from the Lord. And when we do, listen to the words of the servant that we actually hear. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We hear, I have come to give you life and life more abundant. We hear, go in peace, your sins have been forgiven. We hear, my grace is sufficient for you. We hear, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We hear the life-giving, soul-satisfying words of a righteous, just, gracious, and loving God. In all seasons of life, whether we feel like we're in exile or we feel like we're on the mountaintops, the voice of the Lord cuts through and gives wisdom and peace and leads to flourishing. Nothing gives hope and comfort like these words because as we read in the New Testament, for Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. Comfort and hope come when we listen to Jesus, the servant of the Lord. And they do because he's speaking the very words of God to us, the way who is the way, the truth, and the life. So as we walk in his way, there is flourishing and fullness. There is comfort and there is hope. The second reason we should listen to the servant is because he identifies with you. One of the most astounding things is that that we see here that God sends this servant, his servant, his very son, Jesus, into the world. He gets involved in a personal way. The servant is sent into the world to come alongside God's people, to be among them. As we read earlier from that John passage, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we see in verse 3, And he, that is Yahweh, the Lord, said to me, the servant, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Now, Pastor Eric talked about this last week a little bit. But just a reminder, Israel as a nation is sometimes called the servant of the Lord. But it's very clear that this, this servant is an individual come to rescue the nation. But he, too, is called... Israel, and it's because he's the representative head of the people. King Charles can say, speak on behalf of England and say, I am England, because he's the king. He's the representative head. So this is like, in a royal sense, this one speaks for Israel and can be identified In chapter 9 of Isaiah, in chapter 9 of Isaiah, we often read this at Christmas time, and this will sound really familiar. For unto us a child is given, a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The coming king that Isaiah talks about in chapter 9 is the same one that's coming in the form of a servant in 49. Again, as king, he can be identified as for the whole. And he, and he is willingly identifying himself with the rebellious people in order that through him, the father would be brought glory, which comes about by restoring and rescuing God's people and that showcases the grace and the kindness and mercy and justice of God. Now, Jesus is described as a servant, describes what kind of king he is. He wasn't born into a palace. He was born in a manger. Even remember what Jesus said in Mark, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. He was so motivated and intent on rescuing his people that he willingly left the splendor of, his, uh, of heaven in the presence of God to enter this world, to be, endure being despised and rejected as we see in verse 7. He was so overlooked in his life that he, it seemed like his mission was a complete failure as we see in verse 4. Judas defected, Peter denies him. At the end of it, everyone, it, it seems like his ministry dies with people jeering at him as he's hanging on a tree. He was treated as a servant of rulers rather than the king of kings. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return when he suffered. This is what Peter says. He did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. As we read in verse 4, he goes... My work seems so useless. I've spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose, yet I leave it all in the Lord's hands and I will trust God for my reward. Jesus entered into the suffering that his people experienced. He entered into their world. He links his name with them. What would compel such radical Sacrifice. The answer is verse 3. The glory of God. When God created the world, it was an act of love to share and showcase his glory. To display, and to display the perfection of his character. But that glory was marred when sin entered the world in the garden. But God's plan was not thwarted. Rather, he had chosen the descendants of Abraham to become his servants who would then display his glory to the world. But they failed too. So the father had planned to send his son into the world to rescue his people and to demonstrate the full brilliance of God's glory. That's what we read in Philippians 2 earlier in the service, isn't it? Choosing not to equate um, himself with God, he lowered himself, even taking the form of a servant, even to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. And as he, as he goes all the way down 
to pay for our redemption, to identify with us, to, to take on our judgment, then God elevates him and exalts him. His, the way that God leads is not the way that we lead in the world. Our God is a servant. He stoops low. Think about Jesus in the upper room. He, he washes the feet of his disciples. Why? Because he says, I love you this much that I'm going to intertwine my life with yours. Jesus so identified with us that he was willing not only to enter into our world, but to experience the suffering we found in it. He was so intent that he endured something worse than exile in Babylon. He would bear the full burden of God's judgment on the cross. He, as the representative head, endured the cross so that he may be our substitute and bear the weight of our sin. And in return, we would bear the, receive the fullness of his blessing. The merit not my own that we sang about, that's what we get. In so doing, the glory of God is so beautifully and magnificently displayed through this grace, through this love, through this righteousness, through this mercy, that God once again allows us to be identified with himself. To be, to restore the image, to, to be glorified in us and through us. That's what Ephesians 1 is talking about if you want to read that later today. Hiding this song in our heart reminds us that God has not abandoned us. Instead, he became Emmanuel, God with us. He has come near, willingly identifying with us. Those who have rejected him, rebelled against him, and made a mess of things. So that we could then be identified with him through his son, through this servant. So friends, he identifies with your struggle. He identifies with your hardship. He identifies with your temptations. He knows the frustrations of relationships and family drama. One of the reasons, like, platitudes from people, especially in church culture, culture it'll be okay. Just trust the Lord. One of the reasons those, those words often don't bring comfort is because they often come from people that don't know you. But when, pe some, when you are known, when you are seen, those words are transformed. Jesus has entered in. So when he speaks a word of comfort, it actually can penetrate when we realize that he has identified with us so that we may be identified with him. And lastly, the final reason we should listen to the servant is that his song is the song that leads you home. Last week we saw that, again, the mission of the servant was to establish just, justice, and here we see this, the mission expanded. It's to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. And, and, and I'm going to move quickly, but this is, there's a three-fold way this, this is unpacked. One... In the present situation, the Israelites are in exile. The servant will bring them back home. 
Babylon, Babylon was not a permanent destination. There was going to be another exodus. And with a better leader. It's interesting, if you, if you turn and look at verses 8 and 9. In a time of favor I've answered you. In a day of salvation I've helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. To do what? To establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritage, saying to the prisoners, come out, and to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways. On the bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them. And by springs of water he will guide them. If you remember the story of the Old Testament, some of those passages in Joshua that are real boring where, where... where Joshua is giving land to all the tribes after they enter the promised land. That's what was lost in the exile. They were taken out of the land. What was given to them from the Lord is now laying desolate. The servant's song is saying, do you see? I'm sending a better Joshua. That's what Jesus' name is like. It's just a Greek thing of Joshua. And if you remember, the Lord saves is what Joshua means. That Jesus is the better Joshua that is bringing the people back into the land. And he's going to reestablish the land to reapportion the desolate heritages. All the the property that was given to the tribes, he goes, I'm bringing you back that it'll be yours once again. And he's saying to the prisoners, come out. To those that are in hiding, appear. It wasn't just, even when exile happened, people scattered. So they were hiding in all these other communities. And the Lord's saying, I'm not just bringing the ones back in Babylon back. I'm bringing all my people back so that they can come and be in, my, in the land that I promised them once again where I reign and rule. But this exodus is going to be way different because they, they're not battling other nations again, nor are they walking through the wilderness. They're walking on a level plain with food trucks lining the way. That there, are, there is water. The son of the wilderness And the wildness of the wilderness will not beat them. But rather, that the the windy ways are made straight, that the the dips and and, and the the mountainous places are made flat. So he's leading them straight home. Jesus is is, is the the new and better Joshua. And the servant's saying, I will bring you home. But it's not just home, because they could have just gone back to Jerusalem. And if they're just staying the same way, that it is no good. He goes, I'm also going to bring you back to God. I'm going to restore the relationship that has been broken. Israel had looked to false gods and to the power structures of the world to satisfy them. They had abandoned the covenant. They had turned away from the Lord. But the Lord is the Redeemer of Israel. And Redeemer is a really important word. And this is what it says in verse 7. The Lord says, the the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one who is despised. He calls Himself the Redeemer of Israel. 
A redeemer was a family member who was able to buy back property, a person that had been enslaved, or even avenge a family member. But a couple chapters earlier, for the first time, the Redeemer isn't just talking about property or person or avenging, but it's rather, it's talking about that the Lord is going to be the Redeemer for the sins of the people. He's actually going to redeem his people from their sin. He's actually going to buy them back from their sinful, from the judgment that their sin requires. How does he do that? He gives his servant as a new covenant, a new promise that through his broken body, through his death and his burial and his resurrection, there is new life. This is what Peter says in chapter 3 in 1 Peter. For Christ also suffered once for our sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us back to God. The servant will restore the relationship between the Lord and his people. Their sins will be forgiven. And they will live in the presence of God. It wasn't just that they were going back to their land. They were being brought back into right relationship with God. And I promise this is the last point. The servant doesn't stop here at just Israel. Instead, Jesus, this true Israel, will be the light of the nations that the nation of Israel was meant to be. He will be the beacon of light that actually draws all people of every nation to experience this incredible salvation as well. That, that comes, that is available to all who would look to this servant, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. I love in the song in verse 6, that the Lord goes, it's too small a thing to just bring Israel back. He goes, hey, Israel, I think way bigger. His plans are not our plans. We often think really small, and God's going, hey, my plans are way bigger than what you think. God's salvation is so good. His kingdom is so expansive. His love is so perfect. He goes, hey, let's widen the tent. Everyone's meant to come in. This is why Tom's going to Jamaica. This is why we partner with people. Friends, I don't know how many Israelites are in here. I'm going to say not many. This is why we're in here. It's because the servant came and has opened the door of salvation to all who would call on the Lord. This is the promise. And the Lord guarantees it, this invitation, this welcome home, through this new covenant that is not a law code, but a person. Jesus, his, his broken body and his blood poured out as a new covenant to his people. Friends, this servant song brings us home. The, 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 the longing, the deep longings of our heart will only find rest in the one who made them. Augustine famously said, the heart, is restless, the heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. Do you see that this new covenant 
we are not worthy in ourselves, but Jesus makes us worthy. It's his merit that he gives to us. It's his righteousness that he welcomes us into. And he, he, through Jesus, we have a right relationship with God, and we're welcome to come home. That not just to Jerusalem, but to the eternal city. The one that will not be shaken. So friends, as we close, this servant song is an invitation to come home. Would you listen to the word of God to you? Will you listen to the one who so identified himself with you that he, he sacrificed his own life so that you may be, be welcomed home? If you've never trusted in Jesus, what a day. Even as this passage says, in the day of salvation, I've helped you. This is what the Apostle Paul says, now is the day of salvation. Why would, you, why would you push this servant away, the one who loves you so much? I'd invite you to trust in him. For those that are just calloused and are just wandering and they feel like they're in exile, I'd invite you to think about what this song says about who God is and what it invites you into. And for those that are stressed and weary, comfort dear friends for the Lord in verse 13 for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted find comfort in the Lord Jesus it's okay to grieve it's okay to be sad but see in him the deep satisfaction of your heart that there is joy even when it times are hard when our hope is found in him because he is the solid rock that, our, that we can stand upon and our response then to all this when we, when we see this regardless of whether they were in exile or we're in seasons of hardship or we are following well in this song sing for joy O heavens and exalt O earth and break for a mountain mountains into singing because we've been comforted and the Lord has had compassion on us. For those that are interested, you can actually go back to the very opening passage of Isaiah. The heavens and the earth are called to, to condemn and judgment the people for their sin. Here, they've been restored to worship. And friend, that's, that's what Jesus does. He brings us back home, brings us home to God that we might worship. And so, friends, if you've experienced that, one way that we can rest in that comfort today is we have an opportunity to come to the Lord's table, to, to remember this new covenant that Christ has accomplished for us, his broken body and his blood shed so that we might come home. He says, come all to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. He is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sin. It's with these words that we come. 